Now, I'm a dad, and so I've had many of these moments uh, that I recently experienced uh, in different variations. But I was, I was uh, in my house, and I was actually upstairs working in my office. And so I, I heard some noise downstairs. And in my house, periodically, you know, like when it gets really quiet, I know that's not a good thing. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, parents? Because uh, I've got six kids. And, and some of you are like, whoa, uh, six kids. Uh, and and, and I, I'm, I'm, sometimes it still shocks me too, right? But, um, but I, have, I have six kids. And, and so when it gets quiet in my house, I know something's going on. And so I walk downstairs, and I see that the pantry door is open. And, of course, if you have a lot of kids, or if you have any kids, they, they tend to be ravenous wolves. Our kids, like, they just kind of come in like locusts, and they devour everything in our pantry. And so we're like, where did the food go? I don't know. It's like they just came in and ate it all. And so uh, the, the pantry door was, was kind of propped open, and, and I was kind of trying to figure out what's going on. I don't see any of the older kids. And then I kind of walk around the corner, and there's our two-year-old son, Cray. And uh, he has, like, his whole face covered in chocolate. It's like, it's all over his mouth and his cheeks. It's on his shirt. It's on his hands. And so, of course, I do what, what, what dads do. I'm like, did you get in the chocolate? You know, like, obvious question, right? And he says, no. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's try this again. Hey, hey, buddy, I'm going to give you another shot. <laughs> did you get in the chocolate chips? Maybe he, you know, maybe he was just thinking chocolate and chocolate chips is different. I don't know. Did you get in the chocolate chips? No. <laughs> so what, what do I do? I, of course, as a dad, I'm like, hey, buddy, like your face, your hands, like you got chocolate on you. It, it shows me that you have been in the chocolate. And he's like, no, uh-uh, you know? So I carry him to the bathroom, of course, to clean him up. But before I do, the, the, mirror, the mirror's in front of our sink. And I'm like, hey, look at yourself in the mirror. Hey, buddy, like look in the mirror. Have you been in the chocolate? <laughs> No? I'm like, still? Like, you are a stubborn kid. I don't know where you got that, but you are stubborn, all right? Now, here's the thing. I tell you that silly story because as funny as that is, and as a dad, you know, my agitation level is growing, but I kind of am laughing inside too because I'm like, it really is cute, but it's not cute, okay? And so I don't want to, like, uh, you know, give him permission to do this and to lie about it, but, uh, but, it's, but it's funny to, listen, to see him. And, but I, it hit me that like so many times in our own lives, we've got sin. We've got areas where we have struggled, where we are out of God's will. I mean, sin is really just where we decide we're going to be God in our life instead of letting God be God of our lives, where we choose to say we're going to disobey God even though we know what the truth is. And so in our lives, we, we do the same thing as adults, and God says, hey, look, there's an issue in your life, and we're like, no. And he's like, let, let me take you to my word. And, and his word, it says, is like a mirror. And it shows us, and it's like, it holds up the word to us. You know, God uses somebody to teach us or maybe a friend who loves us enough to speak truth. And they say, look, this is wrong. And you're like, no. (laughs) You know, and many times on our lives, if we're not careful, we can treat God's conviction on us the same way as my son in chocolate chips. Because the truth is, is that there's a part of us that doesn't want to be identified with the sin that we have. We don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to admit it. We're prideful beings. I don't have problems. I don't have issues. Well, let me just go ahead and confess as the pastor, one of the pastors at this church, I have issues, okay? So maybe that'll just kind of let, let the, the guard down. I have issues. I struggle. I struggle with sin. On a daily basis, I struggle with sin. And, and then there, there are issues in my life that I struggle with that sometimes my wife or somebody in my life who really loves me, cares for me, they point out to me, and I don't want to admit it. So we all struggle with this. And if we are going to live more like Jesus 
this year, if we are going to grow in Christ's likeness, and as we are working through this book of 1 John, if we are going to grow to be like the Christ that we see in the Bible, that means that you and I have to get honest. We've got to be honest about where we really are. We've got to admit what's really going on. And the Apostle John, who writes this book in 1 John, he, he just lays it straight with us this morning. Uh, on numerous occasions, I've been asked why uh, we teach through books of the Bible like this. Let me tell you why we teach through books of the Bible like this. Because for most of us, we would never teach this passage unless we were kind of saying, well, we're going to teach through this. <laughs> and then it forces us to come to passages like we're about to talk about today. They're going to push us. They're gonna, it's going to push us, okay? So I just want you to, to know that on the front end. Um, I say this all the time. I want to make sure that we're not bending the Word of God around our lives, but we're bending our lives around the Word of God. You with me? Okay, so if you're new to this thing, just know that I'm not the ultimate authority in this room. I'm just a human like, like you are. God has given me responsibility, and he will hold me accountable for what I teach, but you know where our authority is? It's in his Word. It's in his Word, okay? And so when I hear his Word, I have to stop and think, okay, God, if that's you speaking to me, what, what needs to change? I want to be honest And I've had to confront this all week long, and so I invite you in to my conviction, okay? So here we go. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it up. 1 John chapter 1. We did the first four verses of chapter 1 last week. This week we're going to cover verse 5 through chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 2, okay? If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles around you. I also have the, the verses up on the screen, but I encourage you to read it for yourself. And I encourage you to read it and really... You know, think about what, what's being said here. Don't just gloss over it, but let's like actually read the Bible and say, God, speak to me through it. So let me just stop and pray as you're, you're getting your Bibles. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word this morning. God, we need your help because there are things that are in your word that we don't like. There are things that are in your word that challenge us, that push us, that cause us to run from you, to hide from you, to even hide from one another. And this morning, we just confess we need your help to hear what you want us to hear and then to have the courage to obey. We pray that you would strengthen us today, God. We pray that you would use your word to sharpen us and shape us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so here's the deal. If you've got your Bible, we've been, last week we read through the first four verses of 1 John 1. And those four verses just kind of give us an outline of who Jesus is. It's a very brief uh, description of Jesus in some ways and talks a little bit about how John, this apostle who was the last living disciple, uh, how he saw Jesus, how he experienced Jesus, how he um, interacted with Jesus personally, and how he then began to shape his life around Jesus. And so um, there were some false teachers. They were teaching these ideas that weren't true to Scripture. And one of them, of course, is they were saying that Jesus really wasn't fully man, that he really didn't come in flesh, that he really didn't die a literal death on the cross. And so John's trying to say, no, wait, 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 wait. Don't believe that. Don't buy into that because Jesus really did come. I I heard him. I saw him. I felt him. I touched him, okay? I did interact with him. He was real man, okay? We were walking down the road and he stubbed his toe in a rock. It really hurt him, okay? Sometimes we don't talk about Jesus that way. We feel like it's sacrilegious, but understand when when he was flesh, when he was humanity, he was, he was like us. He got tired. He dealt with sickness. He dealt with hardship, right? He was human, but he was at the same time, he was fully God. I want to pick up in verse 5 where John is trying to begin to push on some additional false teachings that were going on in, the, in and around the, the area of Ephesus, which is the group of people that, were, that he was writing to were in churches around Ephesus. And this letter was intended to be passed around among those churches, okay? So here's what he says, verse 5. I'm going to read the whole section, and then we're going to come back and break it apart. Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, 
and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and righteous is the word there, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So, if you're reading along with me, you probably begin to feel the weight of this passage as John starts to address these hard issues. And I want to just briefly remind you that at the end of the section last week, when John got to the end of explaining again who Jesus is and that we could put our confidence in him, he says that I am writing you these things, what? So that your joy may be complete. So if you think, if I think for one minute this morning that God is trying to be hard on us because he doesn't like us and because he, he hates us and because he wants our lives to just be harder just for the sake of being hard, you've missed the fact that God wants to bring life to you. He wants to bring life to me. He wants us to experience real life in every way in our lives. But here's the thing. In order to experience real life, we generally have to go through pain. We have to generally go through hardship because we have to die to ourselves in order to experience the life that Christ has for us. Okay? So, um, the first thing that John says, he says, Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Now again, John is saying, I heard this message from Jesus. And now I'm going to convey that same message that I heard from Jesus to you. This is why it's so important that when we tell people about what we believe, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about our faith, we talk about what it means to be a Christian, we don't just come up with stuff from the air, right? We've we got to go to God's word. We've got to go to what Jesus said, who Jesus is. We need to get our truth from here. Churches get in trouble. People get in trouble when they start teaching stuff that's not even in the Bible. They start adding to the Word of God, or they start coming up with different things, and imposing rules on people that aren't even in the Bible. So John says, look, I got this from Jesus, so I can be confident that as I tell you about it, it's, it's true, because it's from Jesus, all right? But he goes on to say, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Now, this light-dark thing, it's all throughout Scripture, this idea, this imagery that God is light, it's the most comprehensive way to explain who God is. Because when we think of God as light, it's this idea that God radiates his glory, his majesty, his beauty. He, he radiates that everywhere. Like it's uncontainable. Darkness is the absence of light. Light is not the absence of darkness, correct? You with me? When God is light, it is saying God exists and he is light and he radiates he, uh, he, every, his character, his nature, who he is, it just explodes forth from who he is. And when you think about light and darkness, I mean, you don't have to go any farther from when you think back to your memories as a child and you remember being scared of the dark? Remember being afraid of the dark? Some of you are still afraid of the dark, right? When you've ever been in a, in a very dark place before, I remember a couple years ago, 
uh, a few years back now, uh, when I was still doing student ministry, we took a group of students from inner city Houston, and then we went on this retreat out in the middle of nowhere near, on this lake to do some rock climbing. And we were heading out there, and it was so funny because these kids had never left the city of Houston before. So they were always used to bright lights and lots of, lot, they, I mean, they never seen stars before because of the, 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 the pollution and just the, the, the light pollution as well. And we start driving out of the town, and these kids start wigging out. I mean, they're in the van, and they're like, whoa, 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 where, where are we going? You know, like I started hearing these like rumblings from the back seat, and these kids literally were saying, why is it so dark? And they were getting scared of the dark. I mean, these are kids like 15, 16 years old. They put on their tough exterior, and all of a sudden they are freaking out because it is so dark. They've never seen it dark like this before. Point is, is this, that darkness by nature, like just most of us in this room, we don't like dark. I mean, we like it when we want to sleep. And we like it when, you know, we want to like block everything out. But dark, it has this weird thing. And, and think about it. I mean, all the dark characters, you don't, you don't typically have evil characters dressed in white or in light. Uh, although the Bible does say that the devil is an angel of light. But generally speaking, we think about darkness. We think about the darkness and evil. And that's because when John uses this imagery, there's really three primary things he's pointing at that God is. Number one, God is pure. He's holy. He's right. Okay, he's completely without sin. He is, he is right. He is pure. That's when he's talking about light in that way. It's one of the things that the, the scripture reiterates again and again is that God is pure. The second thing we get is that God is knowledge. So um, the way that we see this in scripture is that when you don't know the truth of God, you don't know the knowledge of God about who God is, it says that you're walking in darkness. You're walking in darkness. You can't really see where you're going. In fact, uh, even in the scripture in Psalm 119, which is a great book of the Bible, and in Psalm 19 as well, we get this idea that God's word, God's knowledge is light. The, one of the scriptures that's a pretty common one is, is Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay? The idea that God is this truth, he's this knowledge there, that's, that's, that if we have knowledge, then we know that we are in the light. Now, this is also a reminder to me, and to you hopefully, that if you're trying to convince somebody that they should follow Jesus, you can reflect the light, but you cannot turn the light on for them. Okay? Let me explain what I mean by that. You can reflect God's goodness and His grace by serving them and caring about them, listening to them, letting them work through their questions, their struggles, their problems with the, 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 the Bible, or whatever it may be. You can reflect the goodness of God. You can reflect the light of God. But you can't make them see God as light. God has to reveal that to them. And that's why prayer is so important. If there's people in your life that you know don't know God, then you get to pray for them that God would enlighten them. God would open their eyes and their hearts to the light of who he is, the knowledge of who he is. But the third idea here is that God is also truth, not just knowledge, but truth, and that there is nothing in God that is changing or shifting on us. God is, and he is constant. He is faithful. The scripture even says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, okay? God is the same. He's constant. He's not hiding. He's not, he's not in the, the shadows. God is light. He's truth. Now, I want you to notice what John says as he transitions here. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. John's going to start with this, and he's going to give us three ways that we know we are walking in darkness. And three ways that maybe even show a progression of walking in darkness. Because he says, if we say we have fellowship with him, 
Now again, fellowship, we talked a little bit about last week, but we don't typically use this like, hey, let's have fellowship together. Uh, we usually say, let's hang out together, right? Let's have, a, uh, let's, let's have some time and connect with one another. Uh, let, let's, let's hang out and, and uh, have a barbecue and, and get to know each other better, or whatever it might be. And so we, we have, when we think about fellowship, fellowship is a close relationship. It's a connected relationship where uh, there's a real friendship that's there. Did you know that God wants us to have a friendship with him? In fact, it even says in Scripture that Abraham was a friend of God. That's a cool thought. God wants us to have a close relationship with him. He's not far off. He's not distant. He's not like, hey, I don't want to know you. I don't want you to know me. He's revealing himself to us so we can have a relationship with him. And he says, if we claim to have that kind of relationship with him, if we claim that we are Christ's follower, if we claim to be identified with Christ, yet we walk in darkness, meaning that we continue in sin, we continue just to live however we want, we continue to just live in a sinful way in the darkness. If we do that, we are lying. Just like my son about chocolate chips. We're lying. You with me? It's saying that there's no like cut and dry answer here. I mean, cut and dry, it's just very clear. It's very explicit. You are lying if that's where you are. So he says, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing truth. So step one towards living in darkness instead of the light, is when we are indifferent to sin. When we become indifferent to sin. When we think that sin is no big deal. When we start to think, you know, it's not hurting anybody. Uh, It's really okay that I lie about this, or it's okay that I say this about this person, or it's okay that I'm dishonest about this thing. Um, or I'd steal this little, this little thing over here. Like if, when we start to just see sin is no big deal, we become indifferent to it, we are headed into darkness. And I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning that as we go through this progression, if you feel like God is pushing on things in your life that you know you've just become indifferent to, don't ignore that. Okay? Don't ignore that. Because John says... If we say, and by the way, using the word if we say there, the, the phrase, what he's saying is that there actually were people who were teaching this. They were teaching them that, that you know, you can say you're in Christ, but then, you know, walk in darkness. And it's, it's okay. It's like being indifferent towards sin. We're going to talk about why that's such a big deal. The second thing he says, aside from just being indifferent towards sin, is he actually says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth of God is not in us. The truth is not in us. So, um, what is he saying here? It goes from not just a place of being indifferent to it, to actually justifying it. Now, maybe if you're like me, you think, I don't justify my sin. I, I don't ever do that. Well, this is what it looks like in my own life, and maybe this will help you in your life. When I do something wrong... And then I blame it on somebody else. I know none of us do that in this room, right? So, for example, in my marriage, I'm just going to be real, that there's moments where I get angry or frustrated at my wife. And in my si- inside of myself, I tell myself I am justified in my anger because they did blank, right? And what we are doing is we are lying to ourselves. We are lying to ourselves and we are saying that I'm not a sinner. The problems are all outside of me. In fact, just a word here, 
If you were to capture what the world really thinks about the things that we do that are wrong, most people in the world that, are, again, aren't Christian, or maybe they're in the, inside the church, but they miss this, they really believe that all the problems that we have are outside of us, not in us. Would you agree with that? So we constantly are saying, well, we just need to fix the context that we're in, the environment that we're in, or they need to fix that, and then you'll be okay. Or I need to go back and correct this, this thing over here that, that they did to me. It's, it's always outside of you. The problem is, is that the Bible tells us clearly that we have a sin nature. A sin nature. Meaning that since the time of Adam and Eve, every one of us choose to rebel against God. Now, I joke about this a lot, and some of you heard me say this, but I know that from the time my kids were born, I didn't have to teach them to sin. They went from these cute, cuddly little babies to all of a sudden saying no to me. It's not cool. It's not, it's not cool when I see that sin nature start to, to come out of them. And that's because in every one of us, we are broken. We are messed up. We have a sin nature. And in ourselves, we will justify our sin by blaming it on other people. I mean, even Adam and Eve did that in the garden. Instead of acknowledging it, they said, what? When he comes to Adam, Adam says, well, she gave it to me. Right? Blame shifting. And that's what happens in our lives when we justify sin. And he says, you know, we are deceiving ourselves. You think you don't have a sin problem? We are deceiving ourselves. And that means we are walking into darkness. We claim we have Jesus, but we are walking into darkness. The next thing he says, verse 10. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now think about that for a second. We first went from, hey, sin's no big deal, to now, hey, we're going to justify our sin, like it's okay to dishonor God because they've dishonored me, <laughs> or I can do this to them because it's no big deal um, because of what they've already done. But then this point, he says, if we, don't, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. Who is he talking about? Who's him? We, we're literally saying to God, God, you are a liar. you're a liar. That's pretty intense, isn't it? Um, God, you are lying. Why, why would he say that? Because the scripture says throughout it that we as human beings are broken, that we're sinners, that we have a problem. And consistently that, that is said to us time and time again, not just in the New Testament, not just when Jesus shows up on the scene, scene, but throughout the Bible, it says there is no one who is righteous. No one, not one. It even says that, that in the Bible, um, when Jesus was approached by a teacher one time, he said, you know, uh, good teacher. And Jesus says, no one's good but God. So when we say we don't have sin, we literally outright deny our sin. We are putting ourselves in the place of God. We're calling him a liar. And we're saying his word is not true about us. We are saying that what he has said about us through his word is not true. Listen, when we believe this, and we get to this point, typically, just, just a word of caution here, because I told you before, I don't want something from you as much as I want something for you. What I need you to understand is that when you get to the point that literally you are denying your sin, that it's not even, that it's not even sin in your life, it's going to take a drastic measure usually to break through. Now, some of you in this room probably no situations and circumstances of people that, that are in your life that you love and you care about and you've watched them go through this progression. 
where they just didn't really see sin as a big deal to all of a sudden they're justifying it to finally get to the point they're outright denying it. And it is such a dangerous, dangerous place to live. And pastors and leaders in the church are not exempt from this. They're not. That's why you get pastors of large congregations. Uh, In fact, just recently, a pastor of 14,000 member church just got caught lying about a lot of things, including taking some money and using it inappropriately and not telling anyone. And I see those stories and I'm like, how did they get there? Let me tell you how they got there. Because at first they thought it was no big deal and then they began to justify it in their mind and then eventually they ultimately denied it. How do people go from living in a life, uh, in a relationship with their wife and being completely committed to them to having an affair? Because it goes from, it's not really a big deal, we're just talking, to justifying my spouse is not meeting my needs to ultimately denying that what I am doing is wrong. That's the progression of sin, and it will kill you. That's why I'm passionate this morning, is because sin leads to death. It leads to death, not to life. God wants you to have life, but you are on a path to death in darkness if you are lying to yourself about your sin. I am on a path to death if I am lying to myself about my sin. So we can't be passionate enough about this because here's the thing. In our culture, we all just want to gloss over sin and act like it's no big deal. This is the danger of the grace movement, which has said, hey, look, I'm free in Christ. Yes, you are free. Paul said everything is permissible, but he also said everything is not beneficial. And God does not just turn his eye blindly to our sin. It means something. It's it's significant to us. My job is not to heap guilt and shame on you this morning. My, My job this morning is to say, come into the light. Come into the light. Quit living in shame and fear and guilt. Quit living in a place where your relationship with people is messed up because you've got sin between you and them. You've got sin between you and God. Live in the light. So how do we actually do this practically? Well, the cool thing is, is John didn't just accuse us, or accuse those people of lying about these things. He actually gave them the solution. And that's good, right? We need the solution this morning, not just the problem. That's the problem, but here's the solution. The first thing he says Every one of these statements, the three that I've just made, he comes up with a follow-up statement and says, here's what you need to do. But if we walk in the light, this is verse 7, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You want to know why your sin is a big deal? Because it cost Jesus his life. That's why your sin is a big deal. That's why my sin is a big deal. Because Jesus had to die for it. So to say sin's not a big deal is to actually spit in the face of Jesus as he sacrificed himself so that we could have life and a relationship with him. Are you with me? I know this is hard truth, but I also know that if we don't hear this truth, we will continue to walk in darkness and not in light as he wants us to. So he says, walk in the light. Come into the light. And when we do that, he even tells us that the relationship that we have with each other, the relationship we have with God, it'll be restored. It'll be the best life we could experience, because there's no hiding in the shadows. <clears throat> One thing is about being a, a pastor, um, aside from the awkward conversations it creates when in my, I'm in my neighborhood at a grill out, and they say, what do you do for a living? That's always a fun one, um, because they instantly like get this look on their face like, oh great, what was I saying before this, <laughs> you know? I can't tell you how many guys' golf games I've ruined. Um, but aside from all that, One of the things about being a pastor is that people periodically come to me and they feel like they need a place to confess sin. And we don't believe in a 
We don't believe uh, that you have to go to a priest to confess your sin to be forgiven of your sin. We know that the Bible does say in James that it's good to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed, okay? And sometimes people just need to get it off their chest, and so I want you to know it's a safe place to acknowledge sin, to, to come and confess sin, but you can find another believer. You don't even have to come to the pastor to do that. You can find another believer, and you can confess that sin. You can pray for one another, and pray that that's what we hope would happen in life groups. That's what we ha- hope happens in, in these personal relationships you have with one another. We don't have to hide from one another. But can I just tell you that one of the coolest things about being a pastor— is that as people confess their sin, I literally see their whole body language change. I see their posture change. I see the, the light in their eyes return. I mean, I, it's, it's crazy. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. But I've literally watched men who struggle with pornography addictions for years and years, and it comes to light, and I've watched them confess that, and I've watched their eyes literally return, the, the life in them to return. It's awesome. I've watched people who've held on to things and be, been bitter for years towards family members and friends, and they just have so much unforgiveness in their heart, and I've watched them confess that and to, to, to make it right, and I've watched their whole, their just whole face and countenance change. Why? Because there's freedom in the light. There's freedom in the light. We don't have to put on a front when we come to church. We don't have to play a game. We don't have to have a church where we say we've got it all figured out and we got it all right. We don't. But we get to come into the light. We confess. We walk in the light. And our relationships with people and our relationship with God begins to restore. But he goes on to say this in verse 9. It's one of the best verses in the Bible. (laughs) And I encourage you this week to memorize it. In fact, it's one of the challenges from our small group, life group material this week. It says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess. What does he mean by confess? We don't just acknowledge that it's a problem, but we literally say, God, I agree with you. I'm, I'm wrong. I messed up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak that out loud. God, I have sinned. You guys remember the story in the Old Testament of David, who was a shepherd king, who was a warrior, stud, uh, stud warrior that, that God used. He killed a, a Philistine named Goliath with a little sling, you know, when he was a boy. And God grew him up into a king for the people of Israel. But you know what? We've said this before because if you've actually read the Bible, you know that the people in the Bible, they don't have it all together either. And David, he had a a place where he fell into temptation and he literally took another man's wife as his own. He had an adulterous relationship with her. And not only did he do that, but then he had her husband killed by putting him on the front line so he would die, so he could cover up his sin. And he gets approached by a prophet Nathan, he tells him a little parable, and he says, you know, you're a sinner, and it hits David. And when David finally recognizes that he was in sin, we get this recorded in Psalm 51. I'm not going to read it right now, but I encourage you to go to it. This week, at some point, and read Psalm 51. And when he is hit with his sin, he confesses. But you know who he acknowledges that he offends first? He acknowledges that he didn't just offend this lady that he used his kingly power to influence and bring her in to be his wife. He didn't just acknowledge that he offended the family of Uriah, who was her husband. He says, God, I have sinned against you. The place where confession starts is we agree with God we're wrong. We agree with God we're wrong. And we speak that out and we say, God, we've screwed up. We've blown it. And he's like, I know. No surprises here. But thank you. 
And we feel that weight begin to be lifted as we acknowledge, we confess our sin. But Because he says, if we confess it, he is what? He is faithful and he's just. Not to run from us, not to just hammer us, to pulverize us, though sometimes God again will break us to bring us to the point where we will confess. <laughs> but he says, he is faithful and just to forgive. Now, I want to make sure that you understand that when John's talking in this passage, he's not talking to unbelievers. Who's he talking to? He's talking to believers. He's saying to believers, those who already say that they have put their trust in Jesus, don't live in unrepentance. Don't live in sin. So even though we are forgiven, even though we have been declared forgiven, did you know that? Did you guys know that? Did you know that if you put your trust in Jesus, you are forgiven? Like, it's not going to be held against you. How cool is that? How awesome is that? But even as, you're unfor- as you have been forgiven, you can still choose to live in sin and feel the weight of that. And he says, confess that sin, and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But the last thing he says here, this is greatness. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2. After he said that we're telling God he's a liar if we say we don't have sin, he says, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. John doesn't want them to sin. He doesn't want them to, to give in to sin. He doesn't want them to give in to lying and, and impurity and, and all those things. He doesn't want them to do that. But he says this, but if anyone does sin, if, we're like, yes, we know. Everybody will sin, right? We will all sin. He says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. We have an advocate. What does that word advocate mean? Well, just really quick, when we were going through what we believe series, we talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit, who's God, God with us, that he is our helper, and that he is what is called the paraclete. He walks alongside like a paramedic, right? We talked about that, just to kind of remember. Someone who walks alongside of you. So the Holy Spirit walks alongside of us here on this earth. He is with us now. He is in this room. He is moving. He is God with us. That's why we sense God's presence, is because God is with us. But not only is the Holy Spirit our helper and our advocate, but Jesus is our advocate. So if the Holy Spirit is walking with us here on earth, Jesus is walking with us in heaven, walking alongside of us. And what is he doing? He is our defense attorney. You guys ever watched a, a case on television or, or, you know, some sort of uh, uh, maybe like a recap of a case and you saw a defense attorney or maybe a movie, a defense attorney stands up and starts saying, here's, here's why you shouldn't come after my client. Here's why our, my client's innocent. Jesus is our defense attorney. He's our defense attorney. So he literally stands up in front of the accuser. Who's the accuser? Satan. Satan's like the, the, the prosecuting attorney. And he's prosecuting us and he's saying to God, the Father, the judge, he's saying, they aren't worth anything. They, look at what they've done. Look at how much they've, much they've screwed up. Look how they've been unfaithful to their wife. Look at how bad of a dad they've been. Look at all that stuff that they did in, uh, when they stole those things and they lied about this and they hurt those people. Look at all those things. And you know what Jesus does? He stands up and he says, no, they are forgiven. They are free. He is our defense attorney. Isn't that an awesome thought? The best one you could ever have. He stands up and on our behalf he says, they are innocent. 
How can he say that? How can he say that we're innocent? Because we didn't sin? Because we're not still in sin? No, he can say that because he paid the penalty for the sin. He paid the price. He's not only our defense attorney, he's actually the one who paid the price for us to be set free and to be declared righteous. That's what he says. He says this big word, he himself is the propitiation for our sins, literally meaning that he took on the penalty of our sin. He took on the wrath of God because God cannot ignore sin. It would not be good of God. It would not be loving of God to ignore sin and just act like it's no big deal. He didn't ignore it. He poured it out, his anger and his wrath towards it on Jesus because he is just. That's what he's done for us today. That's what he's done for you today. So in our lives, what are we indifferent to? That's sin. We know it's not right. What have we grown to the point that we're justifying because it's something that we are comfortable with and it's something we don't want to admit that's wrong, so we're just going to put it on other people rather than acknowledging we are the problem. I am the problem. I am the one who has the issues. What are the things that we literally have denied How do we come into the light today? That's my prayer, that we would come into the light today. And here's the cool thing. Just as the intensity of the conviction comes upon our life, so does the intensity of God's grace that meets us in that conviction. That God forgives and God sets free. I said this a while ago, and I'll say it again. God is not trying to make your life more miserable He's trying to bring you into the light to set you free. And some of you today, if not all of us, have got sin in our life because we're not perfect. We're not Jesus yet. (laughs) We've got sin in our life, and we need to be, be honest about it. We need to deal with it. We need to take it to Christ. And for those of you who've never put your trust in Christ, you've never said, Jesus, I receive the gift of salvation, Today, that's offered to you. It's offered to you to come into the light. God is revealing himself to you. He is radiating his truth, his knowledge, and he wants you to know it. So men, women, let's stop hiding in the shadows. Let's stop hiding from one another. Let's come into the light. Let's experience freedom. Let's experience life.